And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of the Gospel Record of Luke. The Gospel Record of Luke in chapter number 16. The Gospel Record of Luke in chapter number 16. When we think of the idea of souls, the idea that God breathed life into dirt and made a living soul, and the idea that when he breathed life into that living soul, that it was something that was going to live forever. The body is going to deteriorate, the body is going to decay, the body is going to fall away. But the soul is going to live forever. And once you die, you will be instantly somewhere forever. Because of the idea of eternity, it is something that we have to look forward to. It is something we have to look at. It is something we have to consider during our daily activities, during our daily thoughts. So often, and you could probably admit this to be true, we're usually so selfish. We're worried about our own selves, our jobs, our families, our things. And that we very rarely look at the interest and the lives and the things of others. If you wouldn't mind, look with me in the gospel record of Luke chapter 16. And I want to show you a story, a real life event that Jesus Christ relays to teach a point. Notice with me in the gospel record of Luke chapter 16. Notice with me in verse number 19. And there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell... He lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is tormented, and thou art, art comforted, and thou art tormented. Besides all this, between us and you is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the Gospel record of Luke chapter 16? The Gospel record of Luke in chapter 16. And notice if you wouldn't mind in verse 28, uh, verse 27 if you wouldn't mind the last part of it, that thou was sendest him to my father's house, that thou wouldest sendest him to my father's house. 
And if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to preach a message aptly entitled, Must You Die Before Becoming a Soul Winner? Must You Die Before Becoming a Soul Winner? Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And Lord, once again, I need your help. With a serious subject such as hell and the idea that eternity is real, Lord, I'm asking that your Holy Spirit do what I cannot and speak to the hearts of these good folks here, that they would listen to it, that they would consider it, and that, Lord, that you would help us to fall in love with that which you're in love with, that you would help us to be the soul winners that we ought to be, the faithful witnesses that you designed us to be. Lord, help us to have concern for souls while we still have the chance to do something about it. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Men. In Luke 16, Jesus Christ is giving the history, giving a specific story that is not just a story, but is actual history. This actually happened. There was a rich man. There was a man by the name of Lazarus. Both of them lived. The rich man had had linen and fine clothes. He fared sumptuously every day. He had his needs met. But there was a time when he died without knowing the wonderful promises of God. There was a time that he died without considering, without accepting for himself the wonderful truths that the Bible had to offer him about fullness of forgiveness, full, free, and forever. He could have had all of his sins forgiven, realizing that God had provided the lamb to pay his debt. But unfortunately, he died. And when he died, he went to an awful awful, real place called hell. Whenever we talk about hell, we need to be very, very careful with how we address it. Because hell is not something to joke about. Hell is not a a place where we wish people would go there. Hell is not a place we want anyone to go. When we talk about hell and we talk about people, we need to be careful that we don't sound like we're glad that people go there. Anyone who goes to that awful place called hell is a tragedy. Anyone who goes to that awful place, it breaks God's heart and it should break our heart. It doesn't matter how horrible a person is, every single one of us should have our hearts broken to think that someone slipped off into eternity. And to be in a place of torments. Notice in verse 23 if you wouldn't mind. And in hell he lift up his eyes being in torments. Hell is a place of torments. It's a place of real fire. Notice being in torments seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said father Abraham have mercy on me. And send Lazarus. What does he want Lazarus to do? Bail him out? Break him out? that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. You want to know how awful hell is? Hell is so awful that just a drop of water would seem like a relief just a moment after you get there. Can you think about that? It is so horrible that once you're there, it is instant torments that even a drop of water would seem like such a relief. Hell is an awful place. 
this rich man, he understood he was not getting out of that. Hell is permanent. What a horrible thought to think that this man for 2,000 years has been in this awful place called hell with no rest, no breaks, no sleeping, no comas, no unconsciousness, no breaks. This man has been in these torments for years and years and years. He understood that he wasn't getting out, but one thing he did want is he did not want his family to go to that awful place. And the first thing I want to bring up to your mind is we have this idea of must you die before becoming a soul winner is this idea here. We will be concerned for souls someday. First thing is, we will be concerned for souls one day. This man, he's in hell, and after he realizes he's not getting out, after he realizes there's no relief, he thinks about his own family. That he has five brothers he knows have never accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. He has five brothers who had never trusted in the promises of God. And he knew that unless someone stopped them, unless someone delivered them a message, unless someone gave them hope, those five brothers were going to end up in the same torments that he was. You know, some people joke that, I don't mind going to hell, it's where the rest of my friends are going. We're going to have a big party and and kick it back. It is not going to be a party. And it is somewhere that you don't want your loved ones ever to go to. And as soon as he was in hell, he wished, he wished someone would go and tell his brothers. Well, you may say, well, that's someone who's lost and gone to hell. I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Well, I want to tell you that one day you will be concerned for souls as well. Let me show you when this time will be. Turn with me to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation in chapter 20. I want to show you something soberly, seriously tonight. And I want to show you what the Bible says. In Revelation 20, it's talking about the millennium kingdom and then eternity future. In the very beginning of Revelation 20, it describes the thousand-year reign of Christ and that Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign forever. After the thousand-year reign of Christ, Satan is going to be released from his prison for a short while, deceiving the nations. And do you know that even in the Millennium Kingdom, there's going to be people who did not accept Jesus Christ as their Savior? Imagine a perfect kingdom where Satan is locked up. Jesus is the perfect government and he's ruling with perfect people there. But there are people who are going to have the same bodies and they're going to have to accept Jesus Christ just like you and I did. And there's going to be a bunch of people that even in a perfect place with no Satan to blame it on still will not accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. Even when they can see Him face to face and go visit Him, they still will not accept Jesus as their Savior. And during that time, Satan is going to convince them to overthrow the government that Jesus has And of course, it's not going to work. And we are going to watch as Satan or Jesus conquers Satan. And we are going to gather there together as the nations. We're going to watch them drag Satan. And we're going to say, is this him who deceived all the nations? This is it? This is all? 
And we're going to watch as they put Satan and they throw him into the lake of fire forever. Immediately after this, while we are still gathered, notice what the Bible says is next. Notice, if you wouldn't mind, Revelation chapter 20. Let's start in um, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works." And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to his works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Here's the scene, dear friend. That... Those who accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, we are watching triumphantly as the great enemy Satan is thrown into the lake of fire. After that, after Satan is sentenced to the lake of fire, God is sitting on his throne. We call this the white throne judgment. And one by one, those people who died before, who never accepted Jesus as their Savior, they never accepted... um, They never accepted the promises of God. They line up. Notice how it describes them in verse number uh, 12. And I saw the dead small and great. This idea of small and great is those people, the people who did small sins and the people who did great sins in our mind. It doesn't matter who they are. The Adolf Hitlers are going to be in line just like the little lady down the street who never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Every single one of them are going to line up. We are going to be witnesses of this time. And we're going to watch them one by one as they come down and they stand before God and they receive their sentence. And then we watch them as they are cast into the lake of fire. Another one comes up. And they are cast in the lake of fire. Another one comes up. They're judged according to their works. They are sentenced because of their works. Their sins they've done against God requires a payment. And that payment is death. And they have to be separated from an eternal God. Imagine if you wouldn't mind using your divine imagination. Us standing and we're watching people go by. Then you see that childhood friend who you knew growing up. And you may have known Jesus Christ as your Savior, but you never once tried to witness to them. You watch them as they're heading towards the throne of God. Using your divine imagination, I want you to think in your mind's eye that they lock eyes with you as they're going to the throne of God. I want you in your divine imagination to see their face. They know where they're headed. They know that there's no escape. But you could almost see something in their eyes, maybe in their expression, as they get a hold of you and say, why didn't you tell me? You're over there. You're safe. You're saved. And I'm sentenced. Why didn't you tell me? And we are going to watch as friends 
and neighbors and loved ones and family members who did not accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. We are going to watch them one by one as they get sentenced. Even people that we know. The Bible says after this incident in Revelation 21 that God is going to dry their tears. You know why that has been said? There's going to be a lot of tears that day. As we realized, we could have told them. They made their own choice. They were sinners. But why didn't we tell them? In my personal opinion, this is where I believe that in the book of Ezekiel 3 and Ezekiel 33, where Jesus says that your job is a watchman and your job is to warn the wicked. And if you forbear to warn the wicked, their blood will be required at your hands. This is what I believe the fulfillment of this is, that we're going to realize that their blood is on our hands as we watch them, friends, neighbors, the cashier, the person at the gas station, the person you see walking down the street, those people are going to lock eyes and say, I know you. Why didn't you tell me? And we will wish we were soul winners then. We'll wish that we're soul winners then. We will be concerned for souls sometime. Why not now because there are real people who are going to an awful place a second thing I want to bring up when I have this thought uh, of must we die before becoming soul winners a natural question comes up how can I be concerned for souls how can I be concerned for souls not only will we will be concerned for souls someday but how to be concerned for souls turn with me if you wouldn't mind the gospel record of Matthew in chapter number three the gospel record of Matthew in chapter, sorry, chapter number four. Matthew chapter four. How can we have a concern for souls? How is it that, that we could break the monotony of our life and the selfishness of our life? How in the world can we break this? Notice what Jesus himself says in the gospel record of Matthew chapter number four. Notice verse 19, if you wouldn't mind. Matthew four nineteen. And he, that's Jesus, saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. The first way that how we can be concerned for souls is to have the right vision of God. To have the right vision of God. Jesus said, You follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This is simple. If we follow Christ, if we spend time with him, we'll start to get his heart. What was Jesus' heart? The gospel record of Luke says, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. The more that you spend time with Jesus, the more that you begin to have his heart. You begin to have his understanding. The more that you understand what he's trying to do. And by the way, if we love the things that Jesus loves, we will love souls because that's what he loves. The more that we spend time with Him, He will make us. It's not something we have to make ourselves. He will make us fishers of men. By the way, with this same thought, if we're not fishing for men, that also means we're not following Christ. Following Christ and fishing for men. So how can we be concerned for souls now? How, before we die, how can we be concerned for souls while we're here? 
First of all is to have the right vision of God. We have to spend time with Him. We have to walk with Him. We have to learn to commune with Him. And as we commune with Him, we'll get His heartbeat. We'll get His desire. And we'll see souls as they truly are. A second thing that needs to happen is that we need to have a clear vision of the reality of hell. We need to have a clear vision of the reality of hell. Do you know that hell is a real place? We don't like to talk about it and we like to ignore it as much as possible. In fact, if there was one doctrine of the Bible that we wish that wasn't in there, that would be hell. But because we believe the Bible is true, we must believe that hell is also real. And that real people are going there. If you could forgive the personal illustration. When I was a young child in school, they tasked us to write a paper on the person we most respected. I think I was in the second and third grade. And as a young child, second and third grade, instead of writing a paper on my mom or my dad like the rest of the kids were, I wrote a paper on how much I respected my grandfather. My grandfather was a master sergeant in World War II at the Battle of the Bulge. He fought the Germans during World War II. He was a man that I had respected his work ethic, how he worked. But he did have a problem. He hated God and he hated church. He refused to be married in a church and he refused to be buried in a church. He refused to even have his own funeral at a church. He refused to get married in a church. He hated God and didn't want to have anything to do with it. I remember being in the military when he got so sick, they actually put him in a, in a retirement home. And I was praying that someone would go witness to him. I was several states away and I couldn't get to him. And I remember when they gave me the news that he slipped into a coma and they didn't think he would wake up. I began to pray even more that God allow him to wake up one last time for the purpose of someone being able to witness to him that he could hear the gospel before it's too late. And a great miracle happened. He woke up and he had consciousness. He, had lucid. he was lucid. But even then, as far as I know, with that last chance, he still did not accept Jesus Christ as his Savior. And to my heartbreak, a man that I once wrote a paper on of how I respected him more than anyone else, a man who did his duty in serving his country in World War II and saw the horrors of the World War II and saw the horrors of the Germans during that time. That man, my grandfather, is in hell now. I don't like to think about it. But he's not getting out. He's in there forever. You see, hell is a real place where real people go there. People that you know and people that I know. And it is a horrible place. It is not something where we want people to go. And we have to remember, we have to realize, we can't put it aside. We have to know that hell is real. 
We have to go to the Lord and say, God, give us a vision what hell is like. Give us a smell of that sulfur. Let us just get a glimpse of how awful it was. I guarantee you that if we were able to take a bus and we were able to take a field trip and go to the edge of hell and be able to get a glimpse of it ourselves, that when we get back, I wouldn't have to convince you to go tell people about how awful hell is and that Jesus is real. You guys would go out running on your own and never stop. One of the reasons why we don't tell people is because we don't really think they're going there. It just doesn't cross our mind. We would treat people differently at the door if we really thought they were going to that awful place. Notice with me some passages. Isaiah 33. Isaiah 33. Back in the Old Testament. We have to remember the realities of hell. Isaiah 33. Isaiah 33. The Bible says this, starting in verse 12. Isaiah 33, starting at verse 12. And the people shall be as the burnings of lime. As thorns cut up, they shall be burned in the fire. Hear ye that are afar off what I have done. Ye that are near, acknowledge my might. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness hath surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell in the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with the everlasting burnings? You see here in Isaiah 33, it says hell is a real place. And God is saying you have to acknowledge it's real. Verse 14, the sinners in Zion are afraid. There are people who realize that they're sinners and they are afraid that they're going to this awful place called hell. It should be something that causes fear. It should be something that causes anxiety. Notice again it says, The fearfulness hath surprised the hypocrites. There's a many people who believe that they're fine. They believe that because they own a Bible, because they call themselves a Christian, because they attend a church, because they're religious, because they have faith, they believe that they're going to be fine. Those are hypocrites. And they're going to be surprised by saying, how did I end up here? How did I end up here? Is it me? Am I really going to hell? It says, who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with the everlasting burnings? He says, see, people need to be asking themselves that question. Where am I going when I die? Because hell is a real place. I honestly believe there are going to be many people who are going to be very surprised when they die and the next moment they wake up into an awful place called hell. This is something we don't want to play around with. This is something you need to know. You are forgiven of your sins. Not that it's something that you play with. This is not something you play with. This is something where real people go to a real place. Why we're in Isaiah, look with me, Isaiah 66. The last book or the last chapter of Isaiah in fact the last two verses see how Isaiah this wonderful book of Isaiah that gives so much hope and so much comfort notice how this book ends Isaiah chapter 66 Isaiah 66 notice with me 23 and 24 and it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one sabbath to another shall all flesh 
Come to worship before me, saith the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. For their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be abhorring to all flesh. Here it's talking about that God is going to have everyone worship Him. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And they're going to be thus who are watching this horrible scene. And we're going to watch people cast... <laughs> into this awful lake of fire and we're going to be disgusted we're going to be horrified we're going to we're going to be so broken hearted when we see them get cast into this place and never be able to escape and never be able to get out an awful place called hell one other fact about hell that I didn't mention earlier as that hell is also a place not only is it a real place it's a place that will also be forgotten do you know the Bible says and talks about in several different passages that eternity future will no longer remember this earth and will no longer remember those people who went to hell I mean after all how can you enjoy eternity knowing that people have died and went there God is going to actually erase our memories at, during the, after the millennium kingdom, during the eternity future. We'll no longer remember those folks who went to hell. I spoke about my grandfather who I wrote a paper on who fought in the battle of the bulge after he's cast in the lake of fire and God will let us no longer remember this world I will no longer remember him. He will be a forgotten person. Because that awful place called hell. It's an awful, awful place. And we have to understand the realities of hell and realize that real people are going to a real place. Must you die before becoming a soul winner? We said you will be concerned for souls one day. We don't need to wait till eternity. We need to be concerned for souls now. We need to be concerned. How to be concerned for souls now? First of all, to have a vision of God and have the vision of what hell is like. One last thing I'd like to show you from the Word of God is that a concern for souls involves compassion for people. A concern for souls involves compassion for people. Notice, if you wouldn't mind, Psalm 126. Psalm 126. Hell is an awful place. And we just need to have compassion on people because we got to realize there are real people that are going there. Part of the problem that we have today is that we have no more tears. I don't know what it is about American Christianity and American culture, but they say that tears are no longer something you should do. Even our society is saying ladies shouldn't cry no more. Do you know that God made ladies to cry? That's an outlet. That is something that God has made. It's a healing thing. You are supposed to cry. Men, there's nothing wrong with you crying. Don't cry if you lost a basketball game. That's not what we're talking But there should be some things that move our hearts, gentlemen. And ladies, there should be things that still bring tears to your eyes. 
Notice with me Psalm 126 verses 5 and 6. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. They that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing bringing his sheaves with him. No tears, no joy. We've lost our compassion. What difference would it make as we're praying for this list of names of people to come to church? What a difference would it make if we actually had tears? We were thinking about these names on the list. And we had such compassion that if they don't accept Jesus as Savior, these folks on the list are going to die and go to hell. What a difference it would make if we had tears. If they became more than just names on a list but they became souls who were going somewhere forever. And we wept over these names, begging for God to save them. Don't you think it would do something in our heart as well as God working? They that, uh, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, the Bible's precious seed, by the way, shall doubtless, that means without a doubt, come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Our selfish, anemic Christianity has also taken away our tears. We don't think about people's eternity and it doesn't move us anymore. We need to have compassion We need to have such a compassion that people are convinced that we believe that hell is real and that heaven is real and that they can be forgiven. No wonder people turn us away when we know nonchalantly kind of say, well, you know, take this track if you want it. That's fine. If not, whatever. No big deal. It is a big deal. Because if those people that we knock on doors with, those people we come in contact with, do not accept the great gift that Jesus gave them, they will die. And they will go to an awful place called hell. It is a big deal. When we go out and we're passing out tracts, it is life and death. And we've lost our tears. We've lost our tears. Notice if you wouldn't mind... In the book of Jude, towards the book, uh, last of the Bible, Revelation and Jude, Jude 22. See what the Bible says here in the book of Jude. We need to have a compassion for souls. We need to have a compassion for people. If we got our heart back, that people are going to heaven and hell. If we got our, whole, our compassion back, our tears back, that people are going to die and go to this awful place, it would help us to be better soul winners, to be faithful witnesses. Jude 22, it says, And some have compassion making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. You know, these two are not exclusive These are together. If we realize that people are going to hell, we will have compassion on them. And we will do whatever it takes to pull them out of the fire. Imagine, if you wouldn't mind, those people who are 
who are literally hanging over hell by a spider's web. And it's that thin, that fragile. And at any time that, that spider web could break and they would be plunged in an awful place called hell. That's how precarious their position is. That's how close they are to eternity. If you saw someone over a pit of fire and they were dangling by a string, what links would you go to to help save that person, to get them to safety, to pull them out of the fire? We've just lost our compassion. You know, it would be good for us if we would actually pray that God would give us back our tears again that God would give us back our tears, that we would have compassion once again. There's an old song. It's not in our hymn books now, but there's another one. It says, Must I go in empty-handed? It comes from... (coughs) It comes from a testimony of a young man who just got saved. And he got saved and immediately he found out that he was diagnosed with, um, with a serious disease. And that he only had a little while to live. His friends came and visited him. And they asked this young man, he said, are you afraid of heaven? Are, are, are you afraid of dying? And he says, no, I'm not afraid of dying. I know I had that settled. But the one thing that breaks my heart is that I've never won a soul to Christ. And I'm going to have to stand before my Savior with, with no soul which to greet him. And that man did die, and that regret, even though he was newly saved, resounded on a young man who ended up writing, uh, uh, Mr. Luther, who ended up writing a song, Must I Go and Empty-Handed. The song goes like this, Must I go and empty-handed, thus my dear Redeemer meet, not one day of service Give him, lay no trophy at his feet. Must I go in empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior so? Not one soul with which to greet him. Must I empty-handed go? Not at death I shrink nor falter, for my Savior saves me now. But to meet him empty-handed, thought of that now clouds my brow. Must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior so? Not one soul with which to greet Him. Must I empty-handed go? Oh, this years in sinning wasted, could I but recall them now? I would give them to my Savior. To His will I'd gladly bow. Must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior so? Not one soul with which to greet Him. Must I empty-handed go? O ye saints, arouse, be earnest. Up and work, why yet tis day. Ere the night of death o'ertake thee, strive for souls, why ye still may. Must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior so? Not one soul with which to greet Him. Must I empty-handed go? When you stand before our Savior and you give an account to His life, and what's the accounting that you'll have? I'm afraid to acknowledge I've got bloody hands. 
people who have died and gone to hell that I was supposed to have warned. And I didn't do my job. Real people who we knew, who we loved, going to that awful place called hell. God has given us a task to warn people now. We will be soul winners sometime. Well, we will be concerned for souls sometime. Don't you think we should be concerned for souls now?